Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars post Highlands Park. Pre-Newcastle, the final round, we had uh, a pretty terrific race in the end at Highlands. Craig, uh, did you see any of it online or uh, has there been any replays on Fox? No, Tony. Unfortunately, I uh, didn't get to see it over the weekend, but from what I've heard, it was a great event. Uh, Look, it was a thrilling race and uh, certainly glad I was there again. Max Twigg and Tony D'Alberto won it. It was uh, their first win in the Australian Endurance Championship. It was a terrific uh, race because, um, yet again, a Quinn, this being Tony, of course, because Clark is no longer racing at the moment. He's uh, taken a sabbatical. Tony Quinn came home with Andrew Waite and a McLaren 650 into second place, while um, almost it may have been Cam McConville's final drive. It was in a Zagami-run Lamborghini Hurricane with Adrian Dietz, who was very much a novice, but they did a terrific job. Uh, ending uh, their season on a podium. And uh, Cam McConville uh, has been with Zagami running the uh, the operation, which has run across a number of different uh, formats, including the Endurance Championship, Formula 4, and uh, that's being wound up. And we've got uh, the interview today with uh, Cam McConville where he'll explain that, which rolls into his next role and his next job, which is, in fact, uh, going to be in a restructure of Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. Um, Phil Monday, a long-time supporter of, of uh, all things uh, V8 and drivers in the series, is in fact uh, buying into the Lucas Dumbrell. He's been a sponsor for some years, and he, in fact, is uh, buying a major shareholding, and they will, in fact, one of their licences has, uh, in the process of being moved on, um, which will, in, in time, that'll come out, that more than likely that'll be at uh, PRA, Pro Drive Racing Australia, um, to run another driver, and that Jason Bright, I think, is going to come out very soon, that his uh, rec, as they're called, racing entitlement contract, is going to end up with Matt Stone, Jason, uh, James Rosenberg, rather, as probably the owner, and with Todd Hazelwood driving in the series next year, with probably Jason Bright as the uh, endurance driver. So that's a great, uh, great thing for all those involved, including Matt stepping up with his father nearby and Jim to uh, assist. Um, and it means the series uh, will get another Ford um, in the series, which is great because uh, we want to see that equilibrium balance. Um, but uh, one of the interesting stories that was doing the rounds, and I sort of put on my old race facts hat and think of cries and whispers, was rumours of the return of Steve Hallam. 
Of course, you'd uh, remember Steve. You would have spoken to him a few times over the years, Craig. I only spoke to him a couple of times, but as we've heard on the show, he's been so well regarded and uh, appreciated by many competitors across the series. He will be very much a welcome return if this was to come through. He was, in fact, uh, recruited by the Walkinshaw Group to uh, head up Walkinshaw Racing back some five years ago or more. And uh, he uh, was there and preceded Adrian Burgess and then he was sort of pushed sideways, went to a tremendously successful time in in building up the techno brand and the techno team to the point where, as you know, Shane Van Gisbergen came second in what have been 14. And uh, then in 16, um, they, oh no, it would have been 2015. And then in 2016, they did the double. That is the Bathurst 12 hours McLaren and then the 1000K Will Davidson, John O'Webb. Right? Steve Allen wasn't there for that win, but he... He put the, the pieces in place and certainly had uh, the guys who were successful in that team, including Jeff Slater as the engineer, Steve Greer as the crew chief, uh, Stephen White, um, Michael, uh, the truck driver, and a whole bunch of other people. They've Some of them have left and moved on to other things, but Steve built a very successful. So the rumour was over in uh, New Zealand that he was returning and maybe to go on the commission. Um, we'll have more on that in a Tim Miles interview, which was also a wonderful uh, excerpt of my uh, weekend at Highlands. There are a number of other things that uh, uh, Steve Helm was linked with, possibly with uh, Lexus um, and, and other ventures. But uh, we're coming up ready to uh, get to, to Newcastle. We'll have a preview next week. It just looks like it's going to be a fascinating race. We've got Scott Sinclair, who is the technical director or technical manager at Nissan Motorsport, the Kelly Racing. And Scott's on the show this week talking with Craig about his background, and we'll have him next week talking a preview to Newcastle, which it looks like is going to be a fantastic event. So after the break, we'll be coming back with Scott Sinclair of Nissan Motorsports. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question... Email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bear Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. Scott Sinclair joins us on the line now. And Scott, uh, of course, everyone sees you in the garage there at Nissan Motorsport. But you've had quite a journey, which has included a championship with James Courtney. Where did that journey start? Yeah, well, that uh, certainly seems like a while ago now. And, uh, you know, that was what, six or seven years back now. But yeah, look, I uh, like many Australian, uh, you know, young young guys and girls grew up watching Bathurst on the couch, and Dad was a, um, you know, a, 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 um, a fan of that. And, and Mum and Dad actually went to uni in Bathurst and uh, and met there, and so that we've always had that connection to, to Bathurst, and that's where it all started. Really, I went through school and um, had an interest in motorsport, but also, um, you know, probably more a sports fan to be honest than, than a than a car 
car guy, I suppose, and um, you know, ended up doing engineering at, at uni and uh, obviously engineering and sport. How do you combine them? Well, that's motorsport. So that's how it all really began. So mechanical engineering or automotive? Yeah, correct. Yeah, no, I did mechanical engineering at the University of Western Australia and um, where, where I grew up and um, got heavily involved in the, in the Formula SAE program, which is a great, um, you know, a breeding ground for young engineers and probably, you know, the majority, the vast majority of the guys in pit lane, the engineers have come through that, um, that uh, program, which is a worldwide competition where engineers build and, and design and race their, their, their little, um, little race car. And we certainly recruit heavily on the back of guys having experience in that, uh, in that um, competition. Mm. And, and of course, uh, Ron Taranak has been a patron of that event so long. Uh, pretty good role model, Ron Taranak, as far as engineering race cars go. Yeah, absolutely. And th- through our time, I, I, was, I was in the program from 2003 to 2005, I think, and he was he was heavily involved through those years as well. So uh, I'm not sure how much uh, involvement he's got these days, but um, you know, he uh, he was a, a fascinating guy, obviously. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Ron Taranak was uh, certainly the man behind Rolt and, uh, and Jack Brabham's early cars as well. And uh, interestingly, that type of uh, mentality is something that a lot of team managers, as you mentioned, are looking for, someone who's gone out and done things themselves. Did your family have a motor racing bug outside of watching it or was getting involved in motor racing a completely you know, new and uh, uh, very challenging step to make? Yeah, no, we, we uh, no, Dad really was was just a a, a race fan, I suppose, and Mum uh, obviously got um, pulled along for the ride as well. But yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, we certainly weren't a family that were on the tools or on the spanners or anything like that. And that's I say, I reckon uh, for me, it's more about the sport and the competition and the and the challenge of um, competing against each other that really that I thrive on, and um, you know, and that that married up well with the engineering um, education that I had. So. Um, you know, we, as a family, we're probably all sports fans, to be honest, and uh, we'll watch anything that's uh, anything that's on. Weagles, Frio, if you're coming from that part of the world. Yeah, no, definitely Fremantle. Yeah, mad Fremantle fan, and um, you know, all all the Perth teams, Perth Scorchers, and the uh, the Western Force, although they're not uh, not to be anymore, unfortunately. Well, that's interesting because, of course, uh, your general manager is a mad Carlton fan. That must bring a bit of friction into the team. Yeah, it is. Yeah, fortunately, we've had the wood on them for a few years now, so I, um, I've, I haven't had to worry too much there. <laughs> now, what was the first motor racing job, paid or unpaid? Yeah, I actually, um, I actually finished uni, and um, my wife um, uh, went uh, got into did, did a postgraduate degree in Brisbane. So we we packed up and moved over to Brisbane, and. Um, I picked up the phone to everyone and anyone, and uh, I ended up with a with an interview and a and subsequent job at um, at Dick, Dick Johnson Racing. So that was uh, 2006. So that was um, the first year of um, well, I can't remember now. That was Will Will's first year, I think, with the team. Yeah, Will Davison's first year and Steve Johnson, obviously. And uh, we also had three development series cars that year, and. Um, you know that was uh, that was a big workload, and I got thrown into the fire there. I think we uh, the first first uh, event was at Adelaide, and uh, we had a guy uh, Marcus Liddell running in an old AU, and he and he put it into the wall and burst into flames. So uh, I was certainly thrown into the deep end there. 
So you were working on all five cars that were being raced or were you uh, looking more towards those development series cars? Yeah, I was kind of, um, it, it was, uh, we, were, we were, you know, as, as we were, it was tight on money in those, in those times in that team. And, um, you know, we were kind of all spread across, uh, across all the cars. We had Dave Stewart was there, who's now the, the category, category, um, sporting and technical director. So he was a really good mentor for me through those, uh, early days. And, um, actually George Commons was engineering car 17 and he's now, I'm working with him again on car, he's engineering car 15 these days. So, um, you know, with uh, a couple of guys there been re- were, were, were really good to me and gave me a really good um, heads up on what it was all about. And, you know, to be honest, having not um, you know, come from a car racing background, it was certainly an eye-opener just coming straight into it. Mm. You then, four years later, uh, looking after James Courtney and uh, in a fierce battle, in, in some ways this year, is replicating what you experienced in 2010. You're going to Sydney, a little bit unknown, and uh, the championship's on the line. Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, you know, as it's unfolded in the last couple of weeks with Jamie and um, with Scott, it's uh, you know it's brought back some fond memories of that for sure. And um, you know, we um, we we uh, we had some good years early on in at DJR with with, and I was working with Will. And I think we finished fifth in the championship in 2008, and that was a really big. Uh, you know, achievement for us at the time and probably gets overlooked in the big scheme of things. But that was really where it sort of all started to slowly come together. So six months after I joined um, DJR in 06, Adrian Burgess um, came in and and really laid the, the framework and we sort of became a Triple Eight customer team. Um, and that took all the stress and all the, um, you know, uh, I suppose that, that took a lot of the hard work off what was a small team at the time because we had a really good package um, from them that was that was fast on track. So obviously 2009 we started out really um, uh, with a few few crashes actually. I think we crashed at Adelaide, then we crashed at, at Tasmania. This was the first season with James and um, we had a few other issues go on and then we sort of had, had a bit of a reset around Darwin that year with, with a few things that changed internally and a few I suppose, hard conversations, which which really set the framework. And then we went out and won in Townsville and um, on the podium for the next three or four events. But that really, Darwin in 2009 was really the beginning of, of our run through 2010. How tough was it at the time? Because it seemed like whilst you and the the engineering group was getting along, when we've spoken to Charlie and, and, and Dick and uh, others about that time, it seemed like that uh, management above you was all, or above Adrian probably, was all starting to really, uh, really fall apart and uh, some some fighting and, and so on. Did that trickle down into the workshop? Um, no, it, it was... To, to, to be honest, and, and I look back at this, and I, I think Adrian did a really good job of sheltering us all from that. Um, and that really, you know, he, he, to be brutally honest, I don't really know the full story. I've never really um, asked because I sort of, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to know it. And um, I, I don't quite know what all happened there and how it all transpired because Adrian was really just focused on, on the, the, the on-track stuff from our point of view and making sure we have what we need to get the success on the track. So while I know there was things going on and, the, you know, the old um, cliche of the door's going to be open on Monday was, it was you know, often thrown about. But to be honest, we uh, we 
you know, we, we were quite sheltered from it all, which was obviously a blessing. Mm. And you've been through it before, of course, with Will Davison when he was there. Um, I know at Eastern Creek, uh, Dick was going to meetings with creditors and the like at that time to try and keep the company afloat. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, you know, part of what was happening, I suppose, in 2009 and 10 was probably what had been happening all along. So we'd, we'd become a little bit immune to it, I suppose. I mean... I think again. I didn't. I didn't really ask um, the hard questions. I suppose because probably because I didn't want to know the answers. But for, for three or four years there, it was really touch and go. Um, you know, in, in terms of the day to day operation of the team and, and the staff and everything. And, and to be fair, those guys and you know, no matter how um, how it all fell apart at the end, they did an unbelievable job and probably will never get the credit. Um, that they deserve in, in the background for actually keeping the team afloat. It does make winning a championship even more remarkable when you think what happened immediately before and immediately <laughs> after it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's again, you sort of write off and tell the story that you, we, we, we probably didn't... We were just riding the wave a little bit. And, um, and to be fair, Adrian was probably leading that and, and just, um, you know making sure we, we have what we needed and we were riding the wave and we got to the end of it and then in subsequent years where I, where I haven't had the same success I've realized it's become more apparent you know how um, how you know well, not, not lucky we were but how uh, you know how well we did really I mm. suppose now what made the decision to move to HRT Oh, we were, um, we were, well, Lucy, my wife's from Melbourne and we were always going to go back to Melbourne and, um, you know, it was, we were going to go back in 2012, but, um, obviously with what happened and with James going to HRT, we, we took that opportunity. I commuted for six months, I think, and, uh, but while Lucy finished some stuff off, but, um, yeah, look, that was, that was the, the trigger. It was a really, it was a no brainer for us. Obviously there was a fair bit of instability for, um, with, with what was happening at DJR and, you know, there was a lot of guys who, who sort of took that opportunity to, to move on to other things. And with James's, um, you know, blessing and, and um, he sort of teed up a job for me. And, and obviously we, we got on really well and uh, had some success. So it was, it was quite easy to go there uh, at the time. Now, Walkinshaw sort of went through a, a bit of a collapse as well in your time there as they went from four cars and a powerhouse down to three, down to two. Yeah, look, that was uh, you know, <laughs> they were tough times. There's no doubt about that. I look, I look back on that, and that was, um, you know, that was uh, that was tough. And um, you know, we we actually won the first race at Abu Dhabi, so we were, we sort of thought, how good is this, and uh, you know, we can keep the run going. But after that, it was it was really lean times, and um, you know, obviously through 2012 and 13, we we won um, a couple of races, and then um, you know, Garth and Nick obviously won Bathurst in. In, uh, 11 so you know there was there was always that glimmer of hope but um, the reality was from where we'd come from you know being competitive week in week out and to, to where we were it was it was a big um, you know eye-opener for me and that's what I, I touched on a minute ago in terms of uh, it, it became more clear I suppose what how successful teams were operating and um, you know and, and what was required as we went through those three years at HRT you know, and um, it became, yeah, like I say, a bit more, a bit more clear to me how how it all works. I suppose. Now, at that stage, you were, had moved on from engineering the car, hadn't you? You'd started to move into a, a more senior role, looking after the 
the, the team as a whole? Yeah, well, not so much at HRT, but I um, I, I moved on to the Car of the Future program partly because we'd had our second baby and uh, and I wasn't able to travel for a few events. But also, I'd really, um, you know, I'd probably reached the end of my um, my tether in terms of race engineering. So then we we they, they sort of tweaked the structure a bit for 13, which and I and I worked with Garth, which was fantastic, and um, and we sort of shared the engineering load a little bit with. Um, with another engineer, Jason Bush. So between the three of us, we had, we had a reasonable year. I think we finished tenth in the championship, but um, you know won a couple of races, uh, Phillip Island and Townsville. But I'd, I'd certainly, you know, I knew sort of early in the year that that, that I certainly wasn't going to go on again. And um, you know the, the, the day-to-day grind of the race engineering had worn me down. And um, you know I, I certainly enjoyed the people aspects more than the than the hardcore technical stuff, and always have. So um, that was. That was the the writing was certainly on the wall and sort of around Sandown. I think I, I said to you know we had a meeting at work with with um, Steve and Hallam and Tony Dow and, and I said look I'm I'm out for next year I can't do this anymore and you know I would, I would have loved to have stayed if there'd been a position but um, you know there wasn't uh, there, there wasn't really a position there for me so I, I looked for other opportunities. So you you put the feelers out for the next move and what ultimately became your move to Nissan Motorsport. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, you know, as I say, in September we sort of started that conversation, and, and um, you know, um, Will Control were really good to me, and um, you know, I, don't, I certainly don't have any um, resentment towards anything there. We, we uh, you know, I've, I've got a good relationship with Ryan Will Control now, so um, that's no dramas. And but yeah, it was time for me to, to move in off the car, and um, and you know, I had some. Um, chats with John Crennan and uh, and then subsequently Todd Kelly and then, you know, now I find myself here. And moving into this role, I guess, it is very much a leadership role, a very much a people management role. How how did you, you know, what were your role models and how did you build your own leadership style? Yeah, look, um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't... Um you know, I, I they, they took a big punch on me. There's no doubt about that. And and to, to Todd and Rick's credit, um, they've given me a lot of freedom in terms of um, how I go about it. But um, you know, you, you, when you're engineering a car, you're managing a smaller group. But I probably did underestimate the size of the the whole operation, four cars, and and being the the, the, the you know the the leader, I suppose, of the racing side. So I underestimated that a little bit. Certainly hadn't done any. Um, you know, management courses or anything like that, or studied management in any form. So, but I am, uh, you know, I, one of my great passions, I suppose, is understanding um, high-performing teams and, and how teams are successful, whether that be uh, football or, or, or any sport. Um, you know, I've put a lot of time and effort into to understanding um, what makes a team successful and, and um, sort of learned some lessons along the way. I've certainly made some mistakes, there's no doubt about that, but... Um, you know, I've really enjoyed the challenge. I really enjoy working with, with the guys and, uh, you know, trying to get the most out of them. You've put together an interesting engineering team right now. Dylan Talibani from from England, ultimately via his family from Iran. George Commons, as you mentioned, who you had experience with up north. Stephen Todkill, another graduate, engineering graduate and uh, quite a smart cookie. And, of course, Blake Smith, who he's not only got an important engineering role, but, gee, he's got a, a communication and mentoring role with uh, Simona that is going to be ongoing into that uh, second season as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're four guys who, who have a lot of experience and, um, you know, all of a similar age bracket and, and probably similar education. And, you know, that's the way that the, the sport's gone and all the successful um, engineers of the last few years are all that sort of in that mould of, you know, you're probably your 30 to 35-year-old um, engineer who's come through a uni and had a fair bit of supercar experience. So, <coughs> excuse me, the, that's the, the group we've got. On, and below that, we've got four, um, you know, talented data guys who who are also, you know, probably three or four years younger and, and um, that we need to train up. There's a, there's a fair old shortage of, of um, talented um, engineers in Australia and we're able to, to integrate guys from overseas uh, into this category because it's fairly unique in the way that it all works and the, and the rules and whatnot. So it's really, it's really important that you train up um, and, and, and have on board, you know, experienced guys. If... As you often see at a racetrack, a lot of young young men are hanging around the back of the uh, garage, and you were able to talk to them. They were, it were well. If you were to have one of them say to you, Scott, how can I have a career? I'm never going to be a racer, but I still want to be involved. What would you say to them? Are the steps to take to be able to get into the game, and what's the best way to approach it? Yeah, look, well, I mean, obviously, I get, get that that question asked a lot. And the first thing I always say is it's, if you really want to do it, it's, it's, it's there for the taking. People people think that it's this, um, you know, really difficult to get into. You've got to be super skilled. The reality is that, that you can we can train all that stuff. It's all it's more about attitude than it is um, than talent. So, um, you know, it's, I used to go to Barbagallo and stand outside the HRT pits and... Um, you know, all the, all the guys from back in the day, Robbie Starr and everything, were, were under the cars and, um, you know, working on them. And I used to sit there and think, that is unbelievable. And there's no, you know, there's no way you'll get into it. But we've got guys in our team who, who literally came along to help out for a race weekend. And you can just see the, the passion and the, um, you know, the, the common sense that they convey in, in you know, helping out and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, they've got a job two weeks later. So, there's always room in in the in the team or in the sport for for people who are who are really passionate about it and who who go about it the right way. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, from an engineering perspective, you, they teach a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of theory in an engineering course, but uh, it, it's really about understanding the practical side, the compromises. So if you're a designer, you need to understand that a, that a race car is full of compromises. So if you want to put put something there well it, it has to fit around all the other things that are next to it so and, and integrate so it's, it's having that experience and and you know the guys straight out of uni don't you don't have that that life experience that um you know the the the, the understanding of how it all goes together so you've got to, you've got to get that and you've got to also understand that you don't have it so it's about you know putting yourself out there, getting involved in the in the Formula SAE competition, or, or or going and working on a Formula Ford or whatever it might be. But getting your hands dirty and and um, getting that real world experience is super important. And that's a fascinating insight into Scott Sinclair's background, and we'll have more on him and a preview of Newcastle in next week's show. And coming after break, we'll have a insight into the world of supercars and their rack for the three major teams involved. That's Mark Dutton from Triple Eight, Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske, and Chris O'Toole from Pro Drive Racing Australia. So, straight after this. 
The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Here we are, Inside Supercars. Talking to Mike Dutton on Sunday after race 24, a trying day. You've had two good days because you've had two wins. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with that, but unfortunately they didn't pan out quite as well. No, obviously uh, it would have been uh, not quite perfect, but pretty close to it if we had, uh, had Shane up there today. Yep. Uh, to, so we've lost a few points in the team's championship, it hurts a bit, but uh, yeah, we came here to extend the lead with Jamie and uh, and did that, and, and doing it with uh, with a fourth and a win is, uh, is pretty good. Yep, and so now in fact you go into, as the only two contenders really, I mean, you know, there's an outside chance, and you can never say never, but more likely is there's only two contenders left in the championship. Team's obviously important because of bragging rights and pit lane priority. Yep. Um, are there things you feel you have to do a large amount of? I mean, it seems like only a little bit of polishing, really. Uh, well, it's new circuits, so we can't so say... Everyone's, everyone's exactly, we can't say what we need to or, or don't need to do. The biggest thing is to uh, not change what we're doing. We've been working hard, we've been improving. Um, yeah, that, that showed today, you know, we were quicker today than we were yesterday. Yep. So uh, it's it's constant evolution and everyone did a cracker job. Okay. Um, and you're back on the 17 tyre? Next round, yes. Next round, That's 17 tyre. You haven't been quite as good on the 17 tyre as you have on the 16 tyre. Yes and no, because uh, at Bathurst on the 16 tyre, we weren't as speedy as we would have liked to have been. In the race, we were good, but yep. Bathurst is long and, and funny race. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, we're, we're still pretty happy. We would like to be faster. We'd always be. We're, we're yep. greedy like that. Yep. Uh, set high standards. So, no, we're, we're confident we can do a good job. All right. And next door? Fantastic job. Uh, I was thinking he'd be, uh, he'd be on the podium. Uh, but, yeah, obviously just, just pipped there, so lightning pace. He said himself, still uh, still life in the old man. That was the words or something to that, that job, and, uh, which is good because uh, we all back him. He yeah, said that by uh, signing him for longer. So. All, right. all right, wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you, Mark. Cheers. This is Chris O'Toole, team manager at PRA, talking about your weekend. And obviously, his deal today was first. Race 24. Um, Cam, fantastic. Made uh, great of the opportunity. Um, unfortunately, you had an incident involving three of your cars. What happened? Uh, there's a bit of a gap. Um, Cam got into it, thought there was a big enough hole. It wasn't a big enough hole. Closed up, they both collided with each other, and Chaz was the innocent party in the whole thing. Yep. Innocent victim, really. Yep. Oh, Chaz and a couple other cars on track. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No major damage to any of your cars? I was a little bit on the back of five, but no, it's not major. No. Okay. Right. If it happened last night, you'd fix it and be racing today. Yep. Put it that way. All right. 
So Cam obviously helps him in his points position. Yep. Uh, doesn't help Chaz because he slipped back to fifth. No, no. No? He was in fifth already. Yeah, he was in fifth because, um, you know, yesterday was a pretty, pretty bad day anyway. So. Um, Mark probably a bit annoyed because he had great form and great speed. Yeah, oh look, nobody's happy about it. Right. Nobody's happy about yeah. having any incident. Yeah, yeah. Overall weekend though, you showed great pace. Pace is good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, our pace was really good. And, um, you know, in some respects I would have preferred to, um, you know, the track to have better conditions so that we could actually qualify yesterday yep. and really see where the potential was. So if it wasn't for the back straight um, being like an oil slip, yep. um, we probably could have qualified and then had a, a, good, a good race out of it. So. Okay. So now you're heading to Newcastle, you wouldn't have seen any part of it. Yeah, I was up there last oh, week. Been, yeah, right? I've already been for a bit of a recce. Yep. Um, and yeah, like the surface is quite nice. There's a couple of patches where they haven't resurfaced, but I don't think it'll matter because it's on the way up the hill. Yep. Um, wasn't able to go sort of uh, see turn four, five, six. Yeah. Because um, that was a construction zone. But yeah, I think it's. Um, I think yeah. it's going to be a great event. Yeah, there are a couple of unique things about it. One of which is the climb. Yeah, the which... climb. That's steep. Yeah, yeah. That's steep. Yeah. You know, so Pass the police was, station was... as well. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was surprised at how steep that was when I got there. And then the run down beside the sea. At, yeah, which is that's right. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a cool little circuit. Yeah. So it should be a reasonably fast lap time, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Have they got a prediction on the view? Yeah, we have. I think it's minute 12 or something like that. There is a simulation going around somewhere that supercars did release to us, so I can't remember the lap. So you're going to have a different park up because trucks go there, but the containers with all your stuff in it sits out the back. Yeah, so we're probably going to try and run it like like a flyway mostly. Um, So our toolboxes and everything, we're going to put them all in the containers and load in and out of the containers because it's there yep. and just wheels and tyres and sort of the bigger items and the cars in the truck and where are your crew mates are staying? we're staying at the Quest oh, which is about it's about a 30 minute walk yeah. not far by distance but there's sort of a wharf which you sort of got to walk around and you can't sort of go as a crow flies alright okay. um, am I right in thinking that you will improve your pit uh, lane position next year? yeah it looks like we'll jump up one pair of bays. Yeah. So not a lot. Okay. Not a lot. And obviously there are changes coming for next year and there's plenty of news. We had a good chat to Richie Stanaway today talking oh, yeah. about That's good. his past and how he got here and why New Zealand can produce all these drivers. Um, there's a slightly different uh, team for you next year. I don't know about the team, you know. I think the team would be pretty much the same. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Chris O'Toole, PRAT manager, and he looks forward to the return and uh, a debrief later this week with Team Edwards and Rod Nash. With Ryan's story, post-Race 24, it changed the championship almost as much as Saturday did with Fabian crashing out. This one today, a bit different. You've at least got a second. There's only a 30-point gap, so there are now two drivers definitely in it. Ryan, tell me about it. Yeah, we're, we're certainly on the back foot with the with the uh, the gap there. It's uh, it might only seem like thirty points, but it's ten percent of uh, of all the takings come Newcastle. So we need to get make sure we get a clean run there. And 
I think it gives us an opportunity to think about between now and uh, when we go racing what we can do in terms of reconnaissance to understand the new track. We can now think solely about it and, and we'll probably you'll probably see us take a few risks and take a few gambles because it's the only way we're going to be successful on this on this this occasion. I think seeing um, not not that we ever like to see our colleagues and counterparts have any degree of misfortune, but uh, Ben Giz's setback today sort of made up for Fabian's yesterday in terms of the team championship battle. We've still got a reasonable lead there, so we'll, we'll try and maintain that lead and at the same time continue to work as hard as we can to chase down the 88 car. Yes, indeed. Um, and I'd be right in thinking that going back to the 17 uh, tyre won't be a disadvantage for you. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've walked the track. Have you been there? No, I haven't been there yet. Dick, Dick was there recently. He did an event with Craig Lowndes there as a part of the build-up to the event and went around the track and thought that it was pretty pretty exceptional and, and he was uh, quite complimentary of the work that they've done there and particularly the work that the council there have done and supercars with IEDM have done a terrific job and uh, yeah, yeah. they were looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably get down a week earlier and, and do, do the reconnaissance and, and understand what we're up against as well as some other uh, back-of-house work as you would expect us to. Yeah, there are a number of distinguishing things. One, of course, racing beside the sea, which has not happened before. Um, second one is the climb from turn uh, one to two. Yeah. Um, going past the police station, police headquarters, that'll be interesting. Somewhere we hope hope not to visit. Exactly. Uh, then the run down towards the park is, it'll be pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I think there's a couple of really good viewing platforms out through there too. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a pretty spectacular event. In, in, in total as well. I mean, we understand through supercars that to, to date there's as many pre-sales as what they had for Bathurst for the whole of the Bathurst event. So uh, wow. we expect it to be a very, very well attended and, yeah. and indeed an exciting event. It's the first fresh, completely fresh new event we've had on the calendar uh, for a couple of years now. Yeah, you were unlucky enough not to actually go to Canberra, were you? No, it was before my time, oh, sadly. Yeah, yeah, young fella, you. Yeah, <laughs> and coming after our break, Tim Miles, an interesting man. This weekend he was a racing driver, but he put put his hat on as a business advisor and told us how he sees the supercar series and what its uh, value is as a stock or a share on the open business market. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars here, Tony Whitlock with Tim Miles at Highlands Park for the final round of the Australian GT Endurance Championship with Tim Miles who with his co-driver Jack Nevin leads the championship before the final 501 round. Tomorrow. At the moment, I just wanted to talk to uh, Tim Mangley about supercars, the state of the nation. Now, Tim, through his company as a business advisor, was involved in the purchase by Archer Capital of the supercars from what was Avesco. Just wanted to get your opinion of where you see the the category as a whole, the series as a whole, how it how it is, the state of it, with change, many changes coming at the management level. How you see the category? Well, I think first and foremost, the racing's never been better. So if you, I mean, I, um, 
you didn't say it in your, in your intro there, but I'm a part shareholder in, in Triple Eight. So as a shareholder of Triple Eight, I'd love the racing to be more boring and we win everything. Um, not really true. I mean, you, you have to have good racing for there to be good entertainment. Um, and the racing's never been better. I think that the um, Team Penske DJR guys and the FPR guys have done a fantastic job. Um, the FPR guys in the back half of the season and Team Penske all year. Um, and we're going to have a championship that will absolutely go down to the wire. It's going to be um, enthralling. So, so from the product point of view, I think it's never been better. Um, th- there's a tendency for everyone to say that the categories. Um, struggling or in trouble or these types of things and and I disagree with that um, massively what's happened in the market um, during the time that Archer Capital have owned it is that the media world has changed completely and if you look at something like um, Facebook bidding $500 million for the IPL uh, media rights that tells you that the way that we're going to watch sport in the future is different and very luckily for the SEL guys um, and for the team owners, they were able to um, hand the sport over to somebody else to transition this period and and at the end of the day um, the transition that, that the sport's going through it would have gone through under anyone's management so, so it's, it's no particular person's fault um, all that said I think there's been um, there was a lot of instability when it first happened with Tony Cochran leaving and a couple of CEOs coming in and if you think about the structure when Tony was there Tony was the executive chairman um, and he went out and shot elephants and, and very active very, yeah. and, and, and Wayne Caddick was the CEO. So we had a guy who understood the sport, run the sport, and we had a guy that understood uh, media and entertainment, run media and entertainment. Now, what happened in that transition was we got one bloke trying to do both roles, and that became a little bit different, difficult, and so the structure changed where um, additional management were brought in to try and create people who could do all the roles and all the functions that weren't happening previously. Um, and, and realistically, I think that's just been another transition. I think now, you know, with Matt Braid um, leaving, um, the structure is probably right. But um, JC um, does a fantastic job, obviously, with looking after events, but also looking after the, the uh, 12 hour. And we've got Shane Howard, been there for a long time, very, very, very safe to the hands. Um, and James was fulfilling that role of the elephant shooter and I think he did an excellent job at that Um, but I also feel that um, when Archer didn't sell it James probably felt and I don't know this first hand but I think James probably felt well I'm going to be doing the same when he came in he had to help them guide their way through the transition and and I think he's probably the new challenges afoot Um, he's well known in the media circles that's a great job that that he's he's taken on and so nobody can blame him Um, his replacement will be hard to find um, but not impossible and and, you know if if my mail's correct they're they're probably pretty close um, to having found a replacement from outside the sport again Um, and if if that's um, you know, if that that, that guy can can fill James's shoes, uh, it'll be fantastic. I think the, the next meteorite cycle, um, I think that the sport will be proactive there. I think what we'll have to do is not wait till it's due, but I think they need to be proactive, and I think they will be proactive and and getting onto the um, front foot with that. You know, there's a lot of criticism for going away from free to air from the you know the 
website forums, etc. Um, but it had to because at the end of the day, free to wear very soon won't be able to afford it. Now we have anti-siphoning that means a couple of the races will always be um, on free to wear, but the free to wear channels their business model is changing massively and and so we had to get there and we had to get it entrenched in Foxtel at the time that the money was there for that transition to work. So I think it was the right decision. Yeah, one of the dramatic things about Australia being so different to New Zealand, also the UK and the US, when Australia has such low penetration of pay television. Yeah, but I think the, the, the implication is actually wider than that. Um, yes, low presentation of pay t- television, um, but also um, the cycle of everybody having pay television is moving because of Netflix, etc., etc. And um, pretty soon people will be watching sport on a screen. You know, they won't, it won't be a TV screen, it'll be an iPad or whatever. And in Formula One world, Liberty have, um, I, I don't know this number specifically, but something like 20 million people who watch every broadcast of, of the Formula One show. So that they can charge those 20 million people $5 a race, 20 races times $5 times 20 million. They get more media rights out of that than they would have done out of traditional um, television rights deals and a lot easier to do and a lot less um, concentration risk. So in Australia and New Zealand, we don't have that. We have 20 million people. Well, between the two countries, we have 28 million people and we've probably got 10% of the population or something who watches it and probably only 50% of those who are prepared to pay to watch it. So we don't have the same numbers to get the same outcome. Um, and, and so that's probably the greatest challenge that I see for, for supercars. But you'd have to say, never a better time to do it. I think the product right now is as good or better than it's ever been, going all the way back to the, the, the Hazcom days of Brock and Johnson and those guys. Like It is fantastic racing by guys who are really putting themselves out there. Um, and so I think it, 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 I, I heard a statistic the other day, not from about supercars, actually from a client of my advisory firm who advertised in um, supercars and they were saying that on their numbers it's the third most popular sport in Australia and so if you've got a sport that's that popular you're going to get a result um, and it'll just be a case of navigating your way through it and I'm sure that James has laid down a good platform for what he sees as the future and there'll be a fresh set of eyes come in um, the boards you know, should have enough wisdom on it to, with larger capital coming from the commercial side and the team's coming from the racing side so it, it, the transition's not finished but it, it's it's been well managed and, and, and it's greatly benefited from our business models. And um, I spoke to Roland at Paul Kelly about uh, his leaving the board 12 or 14 years on the board so time to step away he's got other things to do um, it's not known yet who will be on his replacement yeah, I think it was. I think the uh, election happened at um, Surface. It did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's uh, Rod Nash and Brad Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, both of them, particularly Rod, in terms of businesses, um, you know, great understanding. Yeah, well, look at the Joneses, though. I mean, Larry, yeah, no, no, I mean, Larry Perkins is probably the only other person apart from the Joneses who's made a business out of car racing and stayed in business for that that tenure. So, um, in safe hands as far as people who understand and know the sport. Um, I think from Roland's point of view, 14 years on the board, 
when you're on the board, and I know because I was on it um, in 2006 and 2007, uh, you're blamed for everything, you know. And so I think uh, you know Roland's got very thick skin, but I think after a while you think it's a thankless task. We're doing an awful lot. Um, he'd done it for an awful long time, and, and we've got a lot to do at Triple Eight. You know, we've got new cars to build, um, new engines, um, transitioning into the into the car, that, um, whatever it's called now, car of the future too. I call it. So we've got um, a, a lot on. Plus, Roland's got his other business interests. So I think it was time. Uh, what I'm disappointed with is a mistake I made when we ran that sale process. We established the commission um, uh, copying the Formula One model, and what we um, had was the commission made recommendations to the board. The board approved it. Um, logic would say you shouldn't have the same person on the board as you've got on the commission, and so I, I think that was a cock up, a cock up of uh, you know mo- in part mine because I managed that sale transition. Um, and so we've got at the moment I think we've got Tim Edwards on the commission and, and um, who does a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong, and we've got Rod on the board. Um, and I just don't think that's the uh, a proper. Uh, separation of duties. I think there should be because the Commission's job is to really push a sporting agenda and the Board's job is to push a commercially viable agenda and, and if you're on both um, I think that separation is probably... Which brings me to your question about um, Steve Horn in fact. You know, fellow countryman yep. and a uh, man I've known of and known for, for some time but you longer and uh, he'll be missed. Yeah look he, Steve um, incredibly pragmatic very calm and able to see the wood for the trees, um, which so many people can't. Um, so he will be missed, but but I think he feels it's in very very good shape. Um, a bit of a shame that's happened at the same time as the sort of board constitution's changed, but the commission constitution hasn't changed, and they've obviously done a very good job. But the, the, the quality of this product is a result of the decisions that are getting made in the commission and at the board level, and the quality of the product's fantastic. I'll fly a rumour I heard today, which I thought was an interesting one. Steve Hallam to return on the commission. Uh, I've not heard that, so yeah. that's news to me. So to, to take Steve Horn's position, I think that would be a wonderful. Uh, look, Steve would do a good job. Of it. Steve Hallam, yeah. he would yeah. do a good, he would do a good job. Of it. I don't even know where where he is now. He's so. In America, still with NASCAR, and that's where. Right. Yeah, look, he'd do a fantastic job. Of it. He did a good job when he was. I know he doesn't want to retire to Australia. Okay. Right. So maybe you know something I don't, but no, I haven't heard that one. And. After the break, we'll be talking with Cam McConville, first of all, about the possibility, maybe his last drive in Highlands, uh, last drive in GTs, and maybe his last race, because he moves into a new role in the new year with a new team. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. We're here today at Highlands Park with Cam McConville, and uh, a change of pace coming next year for Cam. He's been involved around motor racing for, gosh, I'd hate to think how long, but I do remember you in Formula Ford. 
Um, and that wonderful year at DJR. Yes. You know, when very young, but uh, wiser head now on his shoulders because he's had that experience. On greyer hair. On greyer hair, right. Yes. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's, I suppose my life hasn't it's all been motorsport, you know, and uh, I've been lucky, particularly this year with Zagami, to come back and do some driving again. And, uh, you know, in co-driving with Adrian Dietz, who's been loyal to me for five years, you know, as a, and, and this year he's been a customer at Zagami. Yep. Um, and also racing Carrera Cup, which has been a bit of fun. But it's been difficult to run the Zagami business and drive, so I was always planning to drive less next year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Bobby Zagami wants to move away from, from competing in motorsport, but wants the, the autosport division, which I run, to be more about just track days and drive days. And uh, as I'm a racing guy, I've decided that probably doesn't align with where I want to head. So uh, I've got one more week uh, with the Zagami group, and uh, the week after we'll announce uh, a, a new job for me. Okay. And you're going to be back involved in supercars in a new role? Yeah, well, look, we, as I say, it'll be announced on the 23rd, but, uh, you know, there's probably no uh, secret that, you know, Phil's taken over a fair, a fair part of LDM and uh, Phil's going to have more of an involvement. So, uh, you know, Phil's been very loyal to me mm-hmm. in the part as a sponsor this year in Carrera Cup. And, uh, yeah, he's certainly keen for me to come on board, and um, which we haven't finalised exactly what the role will be. But, yeah, I will play a part next year. And, uh, you know, it's, I suppose one of the things boxes I haven't ticked is to sort of run a V8 supercar team and it's whilst I'm still not too old it's a pretty taxing sort of job but you know it's something I feel like I'm ready to have a tackle of. And there are a whole bunch of new elements which will there's news of that in the future. Yeah. But that must be exciting itself taking on something something that has the potential to be getting real race results. Yeah yeah I agree Tone and Phil Phil's retired you know he's sold out of his panel businesses repair management so he's looking at a business now for his future, you know, and he's always been a car guy, so I think he's always wanted to own a race team. Um, You know, I trust him very highly. He's a a big motorsport enthusiast, so it's not like he's going to do this for five minutes. Um, Yeah, and we're going to announce a good customer relation. We'll we'll announce in due course, you know, I think a good young driver. So, yeah, it's it's a fresh start, and it's, it's nice to be on board from the start. It'll obviously Lucas, you know, has has done an amazing job keeping the doors open. To be honest, you know, yeah. massive load on his shoulders. Phil comes in with some finance and some business acumen. Hopefully, I come along with some racing background and we can put a little good a good little team together. Okay, is this the last time we'll see you race? Potentially, yeah, potentially. Um, I gave it everything I had today in the Lambo, and I actually was talking to myself, going, this could be your last ever drive. And I'm very lucky to drive a $600,000 GD3, so to actually finish on the podium was nice. Yeah, certainly next year I don't plan to drive as part of the, the, the new operation. Adrian would like me to continue driving with him in GT, but we'll just see you know, what plays out over summer. But my priority won't be putting a helmet on next year, that's for sure. But like anyone... Like I always anyone... leave the door open. Exactly, you never say never. <laughs> It's a hard drug to get rid of, but look, hopefully I can do some testing when we test with the team. You know, we'll be running a couple of other cars, which we'll announce in due course in another category. I can do some testing with that. So, yeah, look, if I can get to do some testing and the odd race here or there, then that's probably as much as I can afford to do when I'm running a business. I hope you and Cassie have a great Christmas. Thank you, mate. Pleasure. Wonderful. Wonderful Cam McConville here at Highlands Park. And coming up after the break, our final thoughts prior to Newcastle and the exciting 
things that will happen at the end of our series there. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Scott Pye and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock, Craig Ravel. It's free Newcastle. It's going to be a fascinating time. We see the series heading down. And there, while there are two obvious uh, contenders for the championship, there are four still in a mathematical chance at the championship. It's going to be interesting to see the two teams, the two mega teams of 2017, that being Triple Eight and DJR Team Penske, as they battle out with maybe the spoiler from Pro Drive Racing Australia with Chaz Mostert, Pam Waters and Mark Winterbottom all finding their form in the last couple of races. So my thought is about how wonderful it will be to be the new track and to read all the things I've been seeing, them talking up, including Jamie Wincup and Chaz Mostert, talking up the new track and how wonderful it will be to see that which we haven't seen. What was the last new track during the series? It would have been Townsville? Actually, I think it's Sydney because it was eight years ago. Oh, wow. Homebush, right. Townsville started 10 years ago. Yeah, right. Well, it's certainly been a long time since we've had a new track added to the series. Next year, we've got the, the luxury of having Tail and Ben join us, which is going to be very exciting. But for now, we'll get ready for Newcastle. Craig, your final thought? My final thought is just how much the 2017 championship is like the 2010, with it all coming down to the final race. But perhaps unlike 2010, when it was a race in the pits... At Sydney, perhaps that challenge was actually already done for us at Bathurst when Wing Cup was able to get the car back out on seven cylinders and pick up some vital points. I guess we'll see soon enough when we get to Newcastle. I look forward to it enormously being there and seeing it. I'm sure that everyone will have their television tunes if they can't make it to Newcastle to make sure they see those last couple of races. It's going to be a wonderful time, and we look forward to uh, Inside Supercars um, that not only will do a season wrap, but uh, to enjoy uh, next week's show when Scott Sinclair will tell us more about what he thinks and some of the others involved in the fight for the championship, both the team's championship and the drivers. So thanks all to our listeners and the people who joined us on the show. Craig, good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Supercars.